morning we are continuing in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had changed the water into wine. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my little boy dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. As he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover, and they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, and the fever left him. The father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he himself believed, along with his whole household, now this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you that you are here today, and we thank you that you are always present when we turn to your word. We pray that we would see the face of Jesus Christ, hear his loving words, experience his touch, and that you would give us the gift of faith. You are making all things new. Make us new, Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Whenever I preach the New Testament, the Gospels in particular, there are a lot of times where I look at Jesus' words and I think, I wish I knew what tone he was speaking in. I wish I knew what he was talking about. And so this is the line from this week that I wish I knew how Jesus said this. So there's a man who's come to Jesus. He's traveled a decent distance. It's not far in miles necessarily, but if you're traveling on foot or horseback, everything's further apart. And so he's about a day's journey away, perhaps. And he's begging Jesus and telling him, my kid is dying when you come and heal my son. And this is Jesus' response. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. It just doesn't feel as Jesus-y as I want it to be, as pastoral. I don't know what, what words to give to that necessarily. Um, I think it, it helps a little bit that, that this man is in the midst of a crowd, apparently. Jesus has come to Cana, uh, where he had been for this really memorable wedding. You would remember going to a wedding where suddenly 900 uh gallons of, of wine showed up. You would either, that would be the most memorable wedding or maybe the least memorable wedding, <laughs> depending on, on how you interact with that. Uh, but, but Jesus has this crowd coming around him. This man from Capernaum comes and he says, my son is dying. And Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, one thing that's going on here is, is that the you, second person plural, is second person plural. That is, Unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. He's speaking to a group of people, making sure it's this strange thing Jesus does whenever he's speaking to one person, he seems like he knows that people are overhearing. And one of the ways that we can enter into the scripture is to find our place within the scripture, kind of imagine ourselves in various roles. I encourage you to do this. If, if Bible reading is a little dry to you, then, then maybe take this up. Read, read not three chapters, not even one chapter, but one 
story and say, who am I here? And what happens if I place myself in this role or in that role? We are people who are in the crowd overhearing Jesus as he speaks to this man. And also hearing as Jesus speaks to us. Let us here today in our hearts here at Reverend United Methodist Church, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And I guess the question is, is, is that true for us? This is one of those places that if we let him, Jesus says things to our hearts that we aren't that comfortable with. And he speaks to a world in which we have a wide range of things that we think or believe about signs and wonders. From those of us who, who welcome them and we see them and we would tell others about them, to those of us that if I could only see something like that, then I know I would believe. To others that kind of have a, a worldview of there is no space for signs and wonders. If, if I saw something that others called a sign or a wonder, there has to be some other explanation, some other material explanation for this. And I believe that all these groups of people and, and other places between these spaces are present in the church on Sunday mornings. That we have a wide variety of beliefs about what's going on in the scriptures and what God is up to in the world. And we can all find ourselves here. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe but I love how this man who's this royal official, I mean, he works for a king, which means that probably he's like a kind of commoner, I guess, but he's become educated, and he's gotten to an important position in an important person's household, and he's probably gotten that position because he gets things done, so Jesus speaks in whatever tone Jesus speaks, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And this man, who is thinking of his son and using his kind of directness that probably serves him well when he's working for the royal official that he's working for, whatever king, maybe one of the Herods in the area. Lord, come down before my little boy dies. Because the truth is, whatever we think theoretically about signs and wonders, whatever we think should be going on or is going on or we wonder or we doubt or all these things, when we are in the moment as this man is in the moment, none of the theoretical matters anymore. Would you come now? My kid's dying. Unless you come to him, he will die. My translation is a little bit unfortunate. It says, sir, come down before my little boy dies. That word for sir actually is the word for lord. I'm not really sure why it would do this way. Lord, come down before my little boy dies. And when we hear it that way, it helps it sound much more like a prayer that we have, or that we have heard. And this is difficult to talk to talk about because I know that this, uh, this this steps on particular nerves of our experiences and our and our difficulties here. Not with kind of abstractions about does God heal, but but what about this situation in my past? What about the time that I was praying? What about this loved one that I lost? And for me, I, I hope that we bring that very personally to the scriptures. It's difficult to, to do that in a space like this, but when I look at this, Lord, come down before my little boy dies. I think back to, in my family's life, in 2016, Mel was pregnant with Tommy. We had dealt with, uh, with uh, Mel being really, her body really likes to be sick when a kid is trying to, to grow up. 
She's one of those folks, and probably not the only one connected to this church that, that has that where throughout the pregnancy, uh, you are having to get IV fluids. They give you uh, anti-nausea medicines that don't work, and the ones that do work knock you out while you're trying to care for a three-year-old. Uh, these, these sorts of things that is reality, not just for mouth, but for other people. And we thought that we knew that we were going because time, because Milo had just kind of come along normally, but we get a scan and something's not quite right. Praise God, in, in retrospect, that, that the first United Methodist Church that I served was just like outside of Peoria. And so our doctors, our normal doctors, were there at Peoria Children's Hospital, and they started doing the tests and scans that they can do. And there is only so much that they can do, and only so much they can tell you. There's a line at which it would, you know, endanger the pregnancy, and you have to figure out what you want to do, and those are very personal decisions that you make. But we said, well, we'll hold off, and we will pray, and we will have other people pray. And what they said to us is, is what we are seeing here could be a number of things. We'll have to do testing after he's born, all this sort of stuff, but it could be that he has uh, structural issues with his brain. It could be that his lungs will not work right. It could be that his bowel will not work right. It could be that his heart could have issues. And, uh, and so there's a lot of reasons to pray. And, uh, and, and for us, just kind of doing it for the first time and beginning to pray and not really knowing. And, and, uh, and you have your own stories in which you've been in those spaces that you don't have enough information to know anything other than I can worry or I can pray. Well, probably I'm just doing both. And as the pregnancy progressed, they, they just, we, we didn't know anything else. We couldn't know anything else. But then, seven weeks early at 33 weeks, smell goes into labor. There's our second kid, so we kind of knew, like, to what to watch out for. For Could this be false labor? You know, drink some water. Make sure you're hydrated. Lie down for a bit. Not stopping. And so we headed for the hospital, and her water breaks as she gets out of the car in the uh, St. Francis uh, parking deck. And, uh, and so we head into labor and delivery, and sometimes in those cases, it's, it's surprising that, you know, you can, that can happen, and then you're just in the hospital for three weeks, and then you deliver. She delivered that night. <laughs> and when Tommy came, it was not like when Milo came. When Milo came, he was born, he was placed on her. When Tommy came, he was born, and he was whisked out of the room with a whole team of people. And Mel's friend, who, who I don't know how, she, how fast she came from Indiana, uh, but she, she was there to stay with Mel and followed Tommy, and we headed over to the neonatal ICU. And over the course of the next kind of 90 to 100 days, we had a lot of days where we weren't sure what was going on, and we had a couple of particular incidences where we really weren't sure what was going on, and one was that he, uh, he had bowel surgery, and then a few weeks later, he developed necrotizing enterocolitis which is a, a disease that attacks your intestines and kills portions of your intestines. And, and kills premature kids every year. And we were looking that up, and we were finding that out, and hooray for Google when you have medical questions. You don't, I'm glad I knew what was going on, but, but it was very difficult to. And they do all that they can do, and he recovers, and he has to part-time gaining weight. We get him home, and then two weeks later, uh, the week of Christmas, he gets life-flighted back to Peoria. <coughs> and as that was happening, and, and all of you know that experience, when, when you have a situation in which you know that you can do 
nothing about it. I have no power here. Whatever they do might do something, and it might not. And I said to Mel, the only thing that I can do, and I think it matters, but I don't think that it could necessarily save his life, because I don't think that's how it works, is I would like to baptize him. And at Carl Hospital, over in Champaign, in the ER, I baptized Tommy. And we put him in a hospital, and we followed on the road, and we got there, and he had this other similar infection, and they had to take care of it, and he had a hard time getting away, and eventually he had another surgery, and eventually, 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 he got out of the hospital, and he is healthy today. Well, not today, he's cold. <laughs> he is having a healthy, normal, six-year-old, almost seven-year-old cold, and he is for, he's had half of his life now that he hasn't had a, a, an overnight in the hospital. He's got like a, a, an ongoing lung thing, but everything else is fine. All his uh, you know, developmental milestones and all that sort of stuff. And he's also like the happiest, happiest kid, uh, as some of our Sunday school teachers and BBS teachers uh, could tell you. Um, and uh, although he, he doesn't like attention, but uh, <laughs> so uh, some youngest child thing going on there. But um, he is well. But what I can tell you is in the midst of that, we didn't know what would happen. And we were, we were praying, and I don't think I've ever prayed this much, or as deeply, or been as desperate. And I don't think I've reached the end of my prayer, uh, maybe any other time. That before that, I would have said, well, I'm a good Christian. I think you can pray anytime. I'm a pastor. I think you can pray anytime. And after that, I thought, I, I'm not sure. That when people are in those situations where they feel like, I can't pray. I don't know what I would even say to God. I prayed all the words. God knows everything. It's in God's hands. There's nothing I can do. I'm out of words. And at that moment, what I learned is that other people can continue praying for us. And people did within our community and within a larger community. I was still on Facebook at the time, so I could share that and it would get to various churches. To this day, sometimes I'll show up to a United Methodist event and some stranger will come up and say, was it your kid that we prayed for? How is he? How, how old is he? All this sort of stuff. But in the midst of it, it, it was not clear what would happen, and I so identified, Lord, come down before my little boy dies. And praying that, and also, I don't think everybody works this way, but also having a part of my head that was saying, I am praying, I believe God can save this kid, but I also believe that children die in neonatal ICUs. And God doesn't love those kids any less. And our child could die. And it's not because God doesn't love him or doesn't love me, but I don't know what I would do or who I would be or how Mel and I would be or how, our, uh, how Milo would be if that were to happen. This level of desperation that some of us think of very personal things that have gone and on into their lives and they haven't gone the way that they went at the time. And Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And I've always read it as, as this kind of judgment, but I think actually Jesus is saying, I will meet you where you are but also that ultimately you can't build a life 
You can't build faith on signs and wonders. Because signs are called signs because they're not pointing to themselves. They're pointing to something else. And the signs of Jesus in, in John is this highly, highly, deeply composed book that's the latest of the Gospels and kind of the, the most organized of the Gospels. He has seven different signs, seven that like very biblical number of, of wholeness, of completeness of, of his ministry. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. That, that we kind of look in the miracles here. Well, the miracle is that Jesus raised this boy. It's also a miracle that this man believed him and went on his way. What kind of faith is happening that's active in this man's life? And as he's going back home, his slaves meet him on the road, or his servants meet him on the road, and they tell him that his child is alive. Which means that this man was so desperate that he left his home knowing that he might not come back to find his child alive. But he set out to find Jesus because Jesus was his only hope. Verse 52, so he asked them the hour when he began to recover, and they said to him yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father realized that this was the hour when Jesus said, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. I want to point out something. So the man has to believe something, even if it's just pure desperation, I'll do anything. I heard there's this miracle guy over there. Half my family thinks he's crazy. That Half my family thinks that he's a fraud. But my kid's dying and I will do anything for him. And I'm going to go see him. There's some kind of faith, some kind of belief in that. But then when Jesus speaks to him, it says in verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. This is another kind of faith. It's another step down the faith road. He believed the word. And he believes it enough that he can head home on this word. And then, and then, verse 53, it says, again, he himself believed. His father believed. And here it's not he hoped against hope that this guy that he doesn't know could somehow heal his son. And it's also not that he's believing this particular word that's been spoken to him. It's that those were the steps that were leading him to faith in Christ and the love of God. That the signs are pointing to the love of God, not to themselves. That that healing that happened in Thomas's life, that you might have seen in your lives, that we've heard about this morning, that we heard about at the other church this morning, that we've, we've, we talk about and we see that we prayed and we saw that God worked. Those signs are not pointing to perfection happening in this life. Because the reality is that, that all of these stories that are marvelous and they encourage our faith, we read about this man's son and Jesus speaks it and it happens. And a whole household comes to believe and this young man gets his life. 2,000 years later, the dad is not alive anymore. The sixth son is not alive anymore. Does that mean that Jesus failed? It makes us question, rightly, what is Jesus up to when he's doing these healings? And what are these signs meant to point to? They're not meant to point to 
fullness coming in this life. They're not meant to point to that. They're meant to point rather to the everlasting love of God which we see in Jesus Christ. Who shows us by his life and by his suffering and by his death that suffering and death are not the worst things that can happen to us. Separation from God is. And that, that as Jesus comes with us he, he, and he goes to the cross, he, he offers to us. And this is, a, this is a process. This is not, if I don't have this yet, I, I'm not a believer. This is a process. He frees us from the fear of death. And he shows us that it's not the end. So Jesus is, is saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And some of us need those signs and wonders, and that's fine for a while, but ultimately we can't build a life on it. Because the person who was healed and raised up at one point will eventually not get out of that bed again. And if our hope is dependent on that, then we will have no hope. The New Testament even speaks to this. It says, if our hopes are for this life alone, then we are most of all people to be pitied. It says that when we mourn, however, we do not mourn, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Because what Christ has done, God's answer to our suffering, is to suffer with us. Because God is not interested in, in the band-aids that come along the way. Sometimes he offers them, and I'm thankful that he does. But God's ultimate purpose is to give us true wholeness in the new heavens and in the new earth, in the life to come. I've spoken as we were talking about Genesis and as death comes into the world and how everlasting life and bodies that keep falling apart is not a blessing, that that is a curse. And God wants to give us blessing after blessing. And Jesus shows us the way because when he comes into the world, he doesn't avoid suffering for himself. He will not represent to us, however many times we say about him, he will not show us that if you follow the ways of God, everything will go right in your life. He says, we will all live. We will all die. This is how you do it faithfully. And he does it perfectly in his life. And he offers the same spirit to us. And when he shows us, and this is in many of the funerals that I've done. It's from this funeral liturgy. This says that he opens in death the <coughs> a gate to eternal life. That if we want healing and if we want wholeness, not just for the aches and the pains and the diseases and the things that have names and diagnosis to them, but the things that we feel that on the days that we don't have pain in our bodies, we might have it in our mind or in our hearts, that we're in this life and we have these limps, and we have these wounds, and we have the aches beyond our bodies. Jesus is going to heal them all. The signs are towards the new world that is coming, and we get a foretaste of it from time to time. And we hope in these things, we want these things, and God wants them too, sometimes. But ultimately, wholeness is on the other side of the cross. And so what does that mean practically for us? Does that, does that mean I'm going to, okay, I'm going to stop praying for people because they'll just speed them along towards that wholeness on the other side? But no, it doesn't mean that. 
This is a good life, and it's meant to be well-lived. Pain is, is awful, suffering is awful, but Christ, when he comes, sometimes he takes away the suffering, and sometimes he gives it meaning. And he shows us that he's with us in everything. Nothing that happens to us, and even nothing that we can do can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He has us. He holds us. He has the broken ones in our lives. He has those who have passed on in our lives. And he never lets us go. <clears throat> Let us pray. Lord God, there is so much going on in your scriptures between the lines of the story. How is it that this man believed you with no evidence? Whatever it was, Lord, we ask for that in our own hearts. That kind of grace, that kind of faith, that kind of hope, that kind of love. Would we trust in you as we take up our crosses daily to follow after you? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.